0: So I'm Scott. I come over here several times a year. Most of you know me, but if you don't, I'm an author. I have, I have a book called Tree of Lies. I just finished writing another one, which the next time I come over, I will have in, in my hand called Essential Questions. I do discipleship coaching. One of the passions in my life is to help people take their next step to Jesus, whatever that step is. And so I had that kind of in mind when I, when I prepared uh, for today, knowing that, that we've got this new year. And I wanted to start off by, by cluing you in to something that is very uh, hotly contested uh, among people, and that is this question. How long do you have to wish people a happy new year? Okay, I did not know that this was such, that's why I haven't said it yet, because I did not know that this was such a a, a, a thing one, uh, one one source that I saw said that after new year 's day you should not say Happy new Year because it 's insincere because you don 't wish people happy birthday two or three or four days later it 's only uh, only on that that day. Somebody else, another source wrote that you have about a week's tolerance to say happy happy new year but if you if you go uh, if you go longer than that then there's negative psychological consequences about uh, reminding people that the holiday is over and we're kind of in the the routine of life another person another source said that you have the whole month of January to be able to wish people uh, a happy new year but if you go beyond that it is a sign of personal personal and or a lack of personal and professional growth if you go into February wishing people a happy new year. The last source that I read said that, hey, if you're a person that likes to live in the present moment, then you can wish people happy new year every day because every day begins a new year. That same person said that they were in the process of manifesting what they wanted for the year. All of this led me to two conclusions. First, I'm really confused. I have no more clarity about whether I can say Happy New Year to you or not. And the second thing is it is really easy to waste a lot of time online. Okay, So I did, I did both of those things. But even beyond that, I think when I talk to people, like I said, I'm involved in discipleship coaching, the New Year does lead us to some confusion. We, we treat this, this hop in the day from December 31st to January 1st as uh, a fresh start, and it doesn't take long for us to realize that all the things that we were dragging behind us in November and December of last year are still being dragged behind us when we get into January uh, of the new year. All the the negative consequences, all the realities of our life on December 31st are still the realities of our life when we wake up uh, on January 1st. So this celebration of the calendar changing leaves us feeling deflated, and it's why so often that the resolutions that we go into the new year with are so quickly dropped because we we go back into our comfortable and familiar ways of, of making decisions, decisions and and, and behaving. So there's a real problem when we take on this commitment that in this year, I want something to to change. And the biggest thing is nothing's going to change because we are the same as we were last last year. So if you have made some sort of, of resolution or commitment, if you've set goals for this year, I'm not saying that that is a bad thing, but if you've addressed it with the mindset of just by my brute force and willpower, I am going to try to, whether it is lose weight or save money or whatever this, this resolution is, it's not going to happen unless you dig a little deeper and get to the source of what is causing these decisions and behaviors. The ones that, that, are, that, that are negative. So since we're in church, and since I'm assuming that most, if not all of us, are are somewhere on the path of of following Jesus, I I am making an assumption that somewhere in your thinking for the new year, there was some sort of discipleship-related goal. Whether it's I want to read the Bible more, or whether I want more quiet time or prayer, I'm going to volunteer more, or I'm going to give away more of what I have. I I am sure that that we all have some sort of of discipleship-related goal. And so I I picked a passage that I'm going to draw four questions for us. So if if I were you, which I'm going to tell you I have been you all week long because I've taken these questions, I've actually journaled on them and thought about them extensively. I'm hoping that if nothing else, you will write down these four questions And it takes some time this week to ponder and to meditate and uh, contemplate whatever you like to do, but just be quiet and sit with them and wrestle with them. And and how do these questions impact you and and your relationship with with God? Nothing's going to change unless we create the the, the space for God to shed light into into the dark places of our heart that that we still hang on to. So the passion, passage that I have is in the book of Matthew. It's the first of our four Gospels. It is a chapter 13, so if you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone, we're going to read uh, verses 44 through 52 as we go, go through here. I'm just going to go a couple, couple verses at a time. And Like I said, I have four questions that I just want us to consider and, and take with us as, as we leave. So this is Matthew 13. I'm just going to read verse 44 as we get started. And it starts off like this. This is Jesus speaking. He's talking directly to his disciples. He's taken them uh, in, into a house so that it can just be he and them and, and a point of personal teaching. And in verse 44, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So what we have here is an example of, and there's going to be three of them in succession, of what's called a parable. Jesus taught in in parables. And the, all three of these parables are, are related. Now, the problem in me telling you what a parable is, is because there are different types of parables. They have different intents. They have different structures. They have different areas of, of application. So they're not really easy to, to define. So the, the broadest thing that I can tell you about a parable is that it is a comparison. Trying to get a little more specific, because that's not really making things any more clear, a parable is a comparison between a transcendent reality and something that is familiar. Another way of saying this same thing, maybe in language that we can more easily understand, is a parable is a fictitious saying creating a picture of truth. However you define it, And I'm sure there's better definitions than than what I've just given you. However you define it, Jesus uses parables to to prompt new thinking. To create new relationships, to help see things in in a new manner. But a parable is not just for information. In fact, none of the teaching of Jesus is just for information. It's supposed to stimulate a response in the person who internalizes and understands uh, what the parable is teaching. The gospel deserves action. Life lived in the kingdom, which is what Jesus is talking about here, life lived in the kingdom demands action. It demands uh, a next step. It demands that come from the the root uh, of who we are. So Jesus taught in parables... Not to be withholding or to be confusing or, or to, 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 to have a, a, a veneer of wisdom. The reason he taught in parables, he tells us, is they're, they're intended to reveal truth to those who are receptive, and they're intended to conceal the truth for those who are unresponsive. So as we read these parables and as, we, as the truth is revealed to us, as we understand them and how they relate uh, to, to the topic at hand, which is the kingdom of heaven, there is a response that, that, we, that we should be led into. So the entry point into this first parable uh, about the kingdom of heaven is the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like, uh, is like, a, a, like a hidden treasure. But the parable is not just the hidden treasure. The parable is this entire, situ- this entire situation. Okay, so the first thing to address is buried treasure. What are we, pirates? What's going on here? So back in that day, okay, just to get a, just a little bit of context of what, what's going on in, in this parable, there weren't banks where people put their savings and all their cash and their safe deposit boxes to put the family jewelry and, and things in. And so if people were going to travel for a long period of time, whether it was to travel for a census like Mary and Joseph, as we just saw at the, in the Christmas season, or whether they had to travel into town to, to sell, the, sell goods, they were going to travel and be away from home for long periods of time. They couldn't pack up all their worldly possessions, all their valuables, and bring them. We also know this is a very volatile time of history, so there was lots of military occupations as, as troops w- would come through, and troops were allowed to take the spoils of war, which means they were allowed to take the valuable possessions. So in either event, to protect what was of value, people would put them in pots them in bags and they would bury, that, bury this in their, on their property somewhere, hopefully in a place that they re- remembered where it was. One of the unknown things that happens though is when you're out, out from home for a long period of time or when neighboring countries invading you, people die. And so that is why there was often treasure that was found hidden and buried in fields and pieces of property. So this this context of the kingdom of heaven being like a buried treasure would have spoken. This would have been immediately understandable to the people who were hearing it. It was one of the, the, the common things of that day. So the parable here, what Jesus is trying to drive home... The point about the kingdom of heaven is that when you find something unexpected, when you find something of immense value, there is immense joy in the finding. When you stumble upon something that you weren't expecting, there is, there is joy as part of, of the reaction. And so the kingdom is something that is of Value that is orders of magnitude beyond anything that we have or can, can procure or is part of our lives. And just so you know, just so that we're aware, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that, that Jesus is referring to, this is the kingdom that is under the rule and reign of God. And right now it's hidden in the world. That's why the, the, the treasure is buried in this parable. So the kingdom, um, most people teach that is in a state of already but not yet. The kingdom exists; it's hidden. God is keeping keeping it hidden. We are part of the kingdom as as uh, people who are following Jesus, but it hasn't come into its full fruition. It's not the visible kingdom yet. It's not Jesus sitting uh, on His throne for 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 all to see. So we live in this tension uh, right now. So Jesus talked about the kingdom. He said He came to to inaugurate the the, the kingdom, and so as followers, we become citizens of this kingdom, even though it is. not not uh, fully realize. And so notice in this parable, the person finds the buried treasure, they realize the value, they react with with joy at having it, and then there is a radical response to finding this this buried treasure, to finding this thing that that has value that is incomprehensible. The, The response is this man that went away and sold everything that he had. He gave up everything that the world thought was valuable so that he could possess the kingdom. So here's my first question for you uh, as we're going through. Uh, I told you that I had four. The first question that I have is, what are you refusing to give up? I think we all get to a point as we're following Jesus, and we 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 make that commitment. We're going to we're going to be a disciple. We get baptized, and we do things. And there are some things in our life that are really easy to let go of. But as as God, because he never gives up, we never stop this process of growing closer and, uh, and, and being sanctified is the spiritual word for it. Uh, there are things that as he digs down deeper into our heart, we kind of hold on to tighter and tighter. Places that we find value, things that we, that we want to hide from God that, we, that we're afraid that, that he is going to, to take, take away for us. And so we begin to balk at some things and say, well, God, I didn't know following you was going to require this. Uh, a, a nice picture of this is uh, the, there's, a, there's a story that Jesus tells about the rich young man. And the rich young man comes before Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, well, keep the law. And the guy's like, cool, I've kept the law. I'm doing really great. And then Jesus, because he knows the man's heart and he knows that he's, he's got to dig down to get to that thing that's of more value, he says, well, there's one more thing. Go and sell all you have and then come back and follow me. And we're told that that man, because he had a lot, he was holding on to that wealth. That's what was defining him. He couldn't let it go, and and he went away sad. And I think in our life, we get to the point where there's things that we are holding on to very tight. So what are you holding back from God? If you want to take that next step of growing closer to Jesus, if you want to take that next step of, uh, of the world seeing the priority that Jesus has in your life, you have to ask yourself, what area of your life have you either intentionally or unintentionally put a fence around and said, this is off limits? See, this man, when he found the treasure, he was fully invested. He was all in. How invested are you in growing closer to Jesus, in, in growing spiritually? Now, I just want a word of caution. This parable is not saying that we buy, we can purchase our way into the kingdom. Okay, so parables can be distorted when we try to stretch them too much. When we try to create a one-to-one correspondence between every single thing that's in the parable to the situation. It is a, it's a story, it's a fiction that we're trying to draw some some truth out of. Another example of a way that this parable can be distorted is we could say, well... How moral is that man because he, could, he should have told the landowner that he found, found some treasure because it belonged to the landowner. This is not about the morality of the man. This is about his response of joy. This is about his fully being invested in what he has found and the radical decision that he made to surrender to the kingdom. Nothing is worth in our lives if we are fully committed and fully surrendered to Jesus, there is nothing of more value in our lives than being citizens of the kingdom. This is not a new teaching by Jesus. I'm going to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 10. And this is, uh, this is Jesus saying more directly the same thing that is being said in this parable. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So he says, whoever finds their life, whoever's living life on their own terms, whoever is trying to create their own source of security and comfort and value and significance, when you're trying to do those things apart from Christ, you are going to, you are going to lose it. God is, going to, God is going to take it away. You're going to experience, you're going to experience death. But if you, if you give away those things, if you are fully invested like the man in the parable, that's when you find true life. And I'm always struck when I read that passage because we have this image of a Jesus who is, who is so super tolerant. He's... He's, he's a milquetoast Jesus. He likes to just, oh, whatever you want to do, Scott, you can go ahead and do. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be right here. I'm your, I'm your buddy, like we've got Jesus on a leash or something like that. But that Jesus is that that from that passage that I just read is is really drawing a line in the sand. If you're if you're hanging on to your relationship with your parents more than you're hanging on to your relationship with with Jesus, you're not worthy of him. I mean that's that's strong. If if your your kids are defining you and who you are so how they turn out and how good at soccer they are or if they get all the scholarships to to college if you're hanging on to that more than you're hanging on to Jesus you're not worthy of him. If you're not carrying your cross meaning if you're not if you're not experiencing some of the burden of rejecting the world and its systems and what it says is of preeminence then you're not you're not worthy of him. So So to summarize that, what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is not an add-on to our lives. The kingdom is our life. So the man sells everything. The present reality that we live in, first and foremost, we are to surrender to God's kingly rule in Christ. Continuing to read through Matthew chapter 13, the next parable starts with Jesus saying again, so this is a link. Jesus is linking these two things. There's going to be some similarities in in the content. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. So this is verses 45 and 46 right after again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, again, context. Back in that day, pearls were among the most valuable of of gemstones. They were rare. They were gathered at great expense to life. Pearls grow in oysters that are about 40 feet under, under the water. So divers would actually tie rocks onto their their legs. So that seems like a good decision right away. And they would then jump off the boat and let the the rock drag them down. And then real quick, while they're holding their breath, and they didn't have goggles, they untie the the rope, and then they would try to gather up as many oysters. And only one out of every thousand oysters has, has any sort of decent pearl in it. So there is is a lot of expense, a lot of labor. Pearls and good pearls were really rare. So you can see in this idea of value that there's some similarity in this second parable with the first one. But there's also also some difference here. Whereas in the first one, we see the man kind of stumbles on. He finds some treasure by accident. This one, the, the... there's more, the, the person is more active. They are seeking. They are looking for, uh, they are looking for, for something and they encounter something very unexpected. So that's like us as we live, right? We, we search. We, everybody is searching. The whole world is searching. We search for meaning. We search for answers. We search for wisdom. We search for truth. We see, search for fulfillment. So again, relating this to the four questions, if we are seeking to change, if we're seeking to grow in in who we are in Christ, the second question that I want you to take away from from this today is, is what are you seeking? There's only, as I mentioned previously, there's only one thing in our life uh, that that matters. There's one thing that we were created for, and we were created to be part of, of the kingdom. And where we get off track, and it's so easy because we have this culture that communicates that, that that really isn't the right answer to the question of what's the one thing. We, we get off track because we're trying to seek the American dream, right? Bigger houses, more money, more of everything, more vacation, more, 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 more. And so we get off track when, when the thing that we're seeking is, is security or, or wealth or we're seeking escape, something to dull the pain that, that, we're, uh, that we're experiencing, or we just want to we're seeking to forget, or we're seeking for more comfort and more leisure. But Jesus says, and again, I'm going to give you another saying of his, the supplement, what he's communicating in this parable of, of pearl. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this: "Seek first His kingdom and his righteousness." And all of these things will be given to you as well. And the, these things that Jesus is talking about there, if you go back and you read, uh, if you read Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about eating and drinking and what you wear, kind of necessities of everyday life. He's not talking about, uh, he's not talking about internet and cars and boats and, and mansions and things like that. He's talking about bare essentials and saying that even what you eat and what you drink and what you wear is secondary to seeking the kingdom in your life. And so this idea of the kingdom of heaven is like, is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. This opens up the idea of, of discernment in our lives. What am I seeking? And, and discernment, uh, the way that, that, that I define it, is the, uh, the ability to choose among the multitude of voices in order to embrace the true voice of God. We are constantly inundated with noise and voices and people telling us what to do and, and where to find life and what makes us successful and what makes us a valuable and productive member uh, uh, of society. How do we discern? Where, what are you seeking? What, what makes you valuable is being part of, uh, part of the kingdom. And so this pearl that the merchant finally finds is beyond his wildest expectations. It it is so rare and so valuable that he immediately, like the the person who found the treasure in the field, goes and is totally bought in and sells everything to get something that, notice, no one else noticed the value of this pearl. The merchant was looking he was looking among other pearls, maybe he was digging his hands through through a basket, and he found found one that was overlooked by by, by everyone else. Everything else was of secondary value to this man who was searching for fine pearls. So what are you seeking? Continuing in our passage in Matthew, Jesus says once again, so he is continuing to build up. This is the third parable in the progression. All three of these parables refer back to the, to the treasure that was found in, in the field. And so I'm going to read verses 47 to 50, and uh, we're going to build up to our third question. It says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace, will there will ooh, excuse me, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, Jesus both gives the parable and gives the meaning of it right away, to, to his disciples. So again, context, many of the disciples were fishermen. Okay, They were, they were doing their ministry uh, in areas where, where uh, being a fisherman would have been super common. And so in the Sea of Galilee, there was about 24, maybe more, maybe less, but right around 24 species of fish. And so they would One of the ways they would fish, they would take a big dragnet and they would just drag it and catch everything that came up. Only problem is, according to the law, not all fish were clean to eat. Only fish that had scales and fins were clean to eat. Other things were not so good. And so after the dragnet had been pulled in, they'd have a couple of baskets and they would throw all the clean fish that they could sell, that they could, that they could use into one basket, and everything that no one was going to want, they'd either throw back in the lake or they would just, uh, they would just th- throw away. So this whole situation has meaning for the, for the original audience that, that Jesus w- was speaking to. And so, again, the kingdom is not the net. The kingdom is this whole situation that's going on. But what's, what is going on is Jesus is talking about as the kingdom comes into fruition. Okay? As we get to the end of the age, as the kingdom becomes visible, as God's reign on earth is, is going to be uh, unavoidable and, and unmistakable. And so as the, as the kingdom becomes visible and the kingdoms of the world get overthrown, not everyone is going to have perceived the value of the kingdom. Not everyone is going to realize what they, what they had when they saw that treasure. Not everyone is going to see the pearl of great price. And so the question that I want to draw out of this for all of us as we're thinking about our year and we're thinking about who, who we are in Christ is, What's your allegiance? Do you see the value uh, of what what you have uh, in the kingdom? Or do you have a greater allegiance to something else and try to inject Jesus into it? Okay, I'm going to mention this. Okay, maybe I will never be invited back. So, Anthony, you might want to come up with your microphone in just a second and kick me off the stage. It's an election year. Yes. Yes. As we enter into an election year, what's your allegiance? I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to tell you how to vote because there's not going to be a Democrat nor a Republican on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. It's Jesus that's going to be on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. So vote and vote your conscience, but don't vote for your hope. Okay? Whoever is president is not creating God's kingdom on earth for us. And it's just become a little pet peeve of mine that i am become very tired of Christian leaders that are trying to glom on to one political party or another to try to gain power and notoriety and create uh, the values that they, they see in the Bible. That is not what our job is with re- related, uh, relationship to politics. Our allegiance is to the kingdom. Our allegiance is to being the body of Christ— and being the light to the world. And we struggle with that. I mean all of us struggle with that. It, it is very hard because we hear so many voices and we're inundated in what makes us a good Christian and what makes us a bad Christian and who I should vote for and who I should not vote for. The entry into this comparison is the net which would have been a very familiar thing. But the parable is about the process at the end that is going to require a separation. And just so you know, when Jesus explains that, he makes real clear that that's God's responsibility, not not our responsibility. But here is... A different voice. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote many of the letters of the New Testament. He was originally a persecutor of Christians before he became a Christian. And this is what he said about his allegiance. And it goes really well with what Jesus is communicating with regard to the value of the treasure and, and our allegiance. And Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's surrendered, he is submitted to the rule of Jesus for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Everything else is not only of secondary value, it is of no value to Paul. Because of the, the, the surpassing worth of Jesus, of being in the kingdom, that is the top priority. Everything else is loss. The kingdom has more worth than anything else. Jesus is his Lord. Can you say those same things? Because if, if, if you don't get the relationship right, then what's going to happen in 2020 with your discipleship? You're going to fall into the same ruts, the same mistakes, the same everything, if we don't get some discernment about how we're going to answer these questions. What's our relationship to the kingdom? How are we functioning in the kingdom? So we're going to roll to the finish line here. This is Matthew chapter 13. going to read the last two verses, 51 and 52 of the passage. After he explains the parable of the net to them, Jesus says, have you understood all of these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Now, first, the disciples immediately give a yes. They're probably trying to please Jesus, but you see this in all the Gospels, but just uh, just a short two chapters away in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus accuses them of being dull because they are not understanding what, what is going on. Okay, so the the disciples are kind of giving a false impression. Jesus lets that go, and then he says to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So... Jesus starts off that sentence with the word therefore, so it's related to their answer. They're saying that they understood the truths and what is going on here and what Jesus has taught in the parables. Some people think that what Jesus says here is a parable. Other people don't. Again, that goes back to the difficulty in defining a parable and a simile and a metaphor. I was not good in English class. So I don't even know what all those things are. The scribes, though, they were learned people. Okay? They were the ones, they were the caretakers of the law. And in that day, they tended to oppose Jesus. They understood the law at a surface level, at a very behavior, at a very outward, uh, at a very outward level. So... If they became a disciple of the kingdom, so if there was a teacher of the law, someone familiar with the law and, and, and what it contained, if they became a disciple of the kingdom, their allegiance, what Jesus is saying, is now trans, transformed. There is now the ability to take new and bring it forth from the old. It's fuf- Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was old. The kingdom is the fulfillment of, of all that was old in, in the law. And so Jesus is now applying this because they understood. Jesus is applying this principle to the, to the twelve and, by extension, to us as disciples of, of the kingdom. Are you able to bring forth the, the truth of the kingdom and expose others to it? Are you able to encourage others with, with the truth uh, of the gospel? Are you able to, to teach it? And I'm not talking about having a seminary degree, but are you able to tell somebody what the Lord has done for you? How your life is changed? How the way you believe and feel about yourself and about the world is different because, because you're in the kingdom? And so the fourth question to just think about is, who are you teaching? Do you hold your faith as an individual, personal thing? Well, it starts there, but that's not where it's supposed to end. We're supposed to be, as, as a group, we're supposed to be light to the, to the world. We are the body of Christ. What people know about Jesus, they know about us as a group as we are living in, in the kingdom. So who are you telling about the treasure that you have found Who do you take the time to describe the value of the pearl that you found that that so many other people have overlooked? We all belong to to a community of people living under the the reign and rule of God. And we're not supposed to keep that light hidden. We are supposed to to let it shine and be bold regardless of the consequences that, that we may experience. So are your conversations being seasoned with that truth. Thank you for having me today. I hope those four questions uh, help you out as you are going to live with Jesus in in 2020. Please pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the stories that we get to read uh, in your word, uh, how you have created them to be accessible, how you have created them... uh, To have so many levels of truth, God. And I pray that all of us, wherever we stand with Jesus, uh, whether we are new to following Jesus, whether we've been a disciple for years and years, I pray that all of us would never stop trying to uh, develop awareness about what our motivations are and how we can grow closer. God, I just pray that, that your light, that your word would shine to all the dark places of our hearts so that, that we would be filled with light and that your love, your light will overflow uh, from us to the rest of the world. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.